Chapter 12 begins with another carriage ride. Here it is Anna Drubitskaya. She's in the carriage with her son, Boris, and they're heading from the Rostovs to Count Kirill Bezukov. They're in one of the Rostovs' carriages, which Anna is borrowing. Anna is basically displaying the humble and a little bit embarrassing reality of the situation. They're going to Count Bezukov for a big ask, namely to support Boris and at least get the kid a uniform and the supplies that he'll need when he enters the service, namely the Imperial Guard, as a low-level officer. She instructs Boris, or pleads with him, to be affectionate and tender to the old man. She points out that the Count is his godfather, and the young man's future basically depends on him. Boris responds by expressing a bit of humiliation about having to go through this ordeal, but he promises his mother that he'll at least acquiesce to the dog and pony show. They arrive at the Count's visitor's entrance. First, it's like a horse stand that's dedicated to visitors. Again, the Count is one of the richest men in Russia. They sort of hurry past the staff and get through the vestibule. A porter asks if they're here to see the Count or the princesses, referring to three of the Count's nieces. When Anna says the Count, the porter replies that he is too ill to receive visitors. Boris wants to leave at this, but Anna isn't letting any initial barrier get in the way. Once Anna is in the door, she's going to make the most of it. Anna tells the porter, My good man, that's why I've come. I'm a relation, and I don't want to disturb him. She likely thinks for a minute and says, I'm also here to see Prince Vasily. I've heard he's in town, and possibly staying here. The porter then rings a bell, likely dedicated to Prince Vasily's quarters. During this time, Anna takes a moment to examine herself in what's described as a massive Venetian mirror. This is the third time in not so many chapters that a character has looked at their cells in the mirror. First Boris, then Vera Rostov, and now Princess Anna. Princess Anna is hoping she looks up to par in her dyed silk gown. Again, she directs herself to Boris and says, follow my lead, in effect, and don't act out of turn. Count Vasily eventually appears with a Dr. Lorient, or Lorient, beside him. He's notably a French doctor. Once again, in a book that will depict a great struggle between the invading French and those in the Russian Empire, the French presence in Russia pre-war is brought to light. French influence filled society with educators, private tutors, doctors, artists, and others in professional or upper echelon positions. Once the doctor leaves, Count Vasily notes that Count Bezikov isn't doing well at all, and there's very little hope for him. Anna feigns, or strategically uses, a very emotional and somewhat overacted response one of care and devotion. She then introduces Boris, but at first Vasily doesn't really take much of an interest in the young lad. She thanks Vasily for getting her son into the Imperial Guard and says, a mother's love will never forget what you have done. Prince Vasily is thinking to himself, if you really wanted to thank me, you'd just go away and not bother me. But he comes to realize Anna is not going anywhere. She tells Anna that he was glad to be of service in helping her son, rather dryly, and then turns his attention to Boris and says, try to do your duty and prove yourself worthy of the position. Boris responds quietly, stoically, but with a degree of maturity that he's awaiting orders to join his new regiment. His respectful tone and clear speaking impresses Count Vasily. 
He asks if Boris is living with his mother, but Boris responds he's living with the Rostovs, and he gives their full names, Natasha and Ilya Rostov. This gets Count Vasily rather unexpectedly to open up about the Rostovs. You could tell in prior years he had a thing for Natasha Rostov. He says, I never knew what Natasha saw in Ilya Rostov. He tells Boris, this teenager, that in his opinion Ilya is a raw cub, kind of stupid, ridiculous, and a gambler. The thing is, everybody decent in the book, including Boris, they all like Ilya. And Anna jumps in that Ilya is a very good sort overall. But Anna is noted to think to herself that Ilya would probably regard himself the way Vasily did. So, in addition to being nice, Ilya is also self-effacing. Vasily eventually expresses that doctors give the old count very little hope of recovering. And Anna goes on to say that she would very much like to thank Uncle Kirill for all his goodness to herself and Boris. And then Anna astutely reminds Vasily that Boris is Count Bezikov's godson. The reader is left to wonder whether Anna is speaking of actual goodness that was conveyed over the years, or more of a hope for goodness in the present, or as part of the distribution of assets. By pointing out that Boris was Count Bezikov's godson, Anna realizes she may have made a mistake. She may have divulged to Vasily that Boris could be something of a rival for the old count's inheritance. She quickly infers that she believes that the fortune will go to Count Bezikov's nieces. The three nieces are collectively referred to as the princesses, and I think only one of them is given a proper name, Katerina Manantova. Anna goes on to ask if the final religious rites have been performed, and notes that she, as somewhat of a female relation, should provide a nursing duty for such important matters. She spells out, we women know how to do such things. With a very skillful level of persistence, she's getting herself into the inner circle of the Count's last moments. She says aloud, I must see him. However painful it may be for me, I'm accustomed to suffering. Prince Vasily's doing his best to keep her at bay by saying, wouldn't all that be too much of an ordeal? Let's just wait. There may be a health issue if we try to proceed with anything now. The counter-argument by Anna is one that appeals to the highest ideals. She says, one cannot delay when the soul's salvation is at stake. Oh, she laments, the duties of a Christian. One of the nieces then comes out from where Count Bezikov is lying down, being treated or comforted, and she complains of all the noise. The niece is described as having a cold and forbidding face with a torso out of proportion to her legs. Anna plods on right through the complaints of noise and insists that she's there to help with the delicate tasks of nursing. The niece didn't stick around long. She voiced some dismay and just left. Anna turns to her son Boris and sends him downstairs and tells him that she's going to see to the count and that he should go elsewhere in the home and try to find Pierre and convey the Rostov's dinner invitation. Anna then asks Vasily if he thinks that Pierre will accept the invitation, probably just to make some conversation. In response, Vasily reveals more of himself and the nature of his character. He hopes Pierre will, as he would love to be relieved of him, especially since Pierre's father hasn't asked for him, or so Vasily says. Now, the action in this chapter wasn't particularly exciting, but it did go a long way in terms of character development. 
you get the sense that Prince Vasily is there to be close to Count Bezikov at his death for the purpose of being in a position to get at the inheritance. The princesses are also characterized the same way. Anna is maneuvering to help her son by way of caring for Count Bezikov. And Boris has a level of dignity of not wanting to go through with having to ask anybody to subsidize him. One other thing deserves a little bit of explanation was when Anna asked if last rites had been administered or were going to be administered. That is a traditional final cleansing of the body. If possible, the body will be prepared and cleaned before the priest administers the last rites. The priest will traditionally hear confession and administer communion. Prayers are offered asking the Lord for a peaceful departing of the soul and a peaceful transition. In other words, it's the preparation of a dying person's soul for its departure. In circumstances where the end is long and painful, there are also prayers for the relief of the person's suffering. The aim is to provide spiritual comfort if the person is competent and can understand what is going on, as well as to renew one's faith in this solemn time.